Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we talk about evolution and all the strange places that it can take you. Now, sometimes you come up with an idea that's really good, but other people may have come up with the same idea in different places and at different times. This idea of convergent evolution is pretty powerful, especially in crabs. But also we see this in lizards and snakes. Find out some interesting tales of evolution. If you've played video games, going through an evolutionary chain can be seen as something really easy. You know that Pokemon evolve from one type to the next, and maybe there's some different environmental conditions or triggers that evolve it into a different form, but more or less, you know the pattern. It's mapped out for you, and even if you don't know exactly how it's going to be, you can picture that it'll be some sort of linear or sort of divergent progression. But evolution in the actual real world is nowhere near as neat and simple. And the best example of this is just how messy it can be to try and piece together the genetic and development history of a particular species. If you track the line of development, and sometimes you can see the through line from something like dinosaurs through to the birds we have today, that line is pretty straightforward. If you look at a croc, well, crocs actually are pretty similar from when they first developed. Humans can be a bit messy going through all of the branches and different versions of hominids to find our line of the Homo sapiens. But in the animal kingdom, there's another real branch that is the most unusual. Because if you try and piece it together, you find things that look pretty similar to each other. They, they seem to match, but actually they belong to very different families. And if you trace back through their ancestral lines, they're actually from very different places. They just ended up looking almost identical. And of course, I'm talking about crabs, because nature really, really loves the shape of a crab. It's called carcinization, the process by which nature has evolved or co-evolved over many different times, basically the same shape. It really likes the round body shape with the carapace and the big extended arms, the pinches, the typical crab shape you're imagining in your head. And nature has evolved that independently many, many different times. So much so that some of the types of crab that you might think of today aren't actually what's called true crabs. Now, it's believed that there is a main line of crabs, the Brachyurians, the actual true crabs. Their ancestor organism looked like a crab, like you expect, and they developed from that. But there's a whole bunch of other families of crabs, five in fact, that evolved from some of the crustacean and over time became the crabs almost identical that really to that of the Brachyurian line. In this case of convergent evolution, you can see nature really seeing that the shape, geometry of a crab, the body type, the form of a crab is so useful and so well adapted to its niche that, well, you may as well go for that shape. And whilst there is around 6,700 or so of the true crab type species, the Bracarians, well, if you look at other species in these related crab-like, not technically true crabs, of uh, the four other groups, there's roughly around four or 500 species we've identified, and they've been with us for a very long time, up to as much as uh, 163 million years ago. So the question is, how can nature keeps evolving and re-evolving this same shape over and over again? What is so great about crabs? And 
When exactly did this process really start? How long have crabs been with us and continually convergently evolving over time? Now, of course, the period strain of crabs, these true crab lines, that underwent a pretty dramatic development of diversity in its species. Around 145 to 66 million years ago in the Cretaceous period, pretty much 80% of modern crab groups just burst into the scene. It was a crab revolution, the Cretaceous crab revolution, where there was a whole bunch of just marine mammals being developed at the time as part of the Mesozoic marine revolution, but crabs really massively diversified at that point in time. This Brachyrus true crab line really thrived and flourished, right? So that's why we see so many of them. But did that same scenario also help the other species or other types of crabs out there, the different lines that became crab-like? So to answer some of these questions, we're going to turn to a paper published in the journal Science Advances. Two co-lead authors on this paper were Javier Luc from Harvard University and Li Daxing from the Chinese University of Geosciences in Beijing. Now, these researchers have been diving into a really incredible specimen, absolutely amazing. Now, we've talked about piecing together the fossil record and how hard it can be to trace through the lines when you get muddled up by convergent evolution. But it's even harder when the thing you're trying to study is so soft and delicate. Now, of course, crabs are invertebrates. They have a hard carapace outer shell, but no real bones. If you think about a fossilized dinosaur, well, it's easy, even if you have some of the pieces, to imagine what that shape would look like. The details, the skin, the muscles may be gone, but you can work out the body shape. But with crabs, it's really, really tricky because often you get partial samples rather than a fully well-preserved something because, well, how would it get well-preserved? How would it get trapped? And whatever's trapping it can't crush it. Now, these researchers were fortunate enough to come across trapped in amber from 100 million years ago, a perfectly captured, modern-looking crab, the Cretapsera athenata. Now, this is an incredibly rare find, and it was only possible because this crab, 100 million years ago, was trapped inside amber. Now, if you remember Jurassic Park, there was a mosquito, another incredibly delicate thing, trapped inside amber. But of course, mosquitoes like flying and landing on trees. The chances of getting trapped in amber is pretty high. We've got lots of bugs trapped in amber. But a crab? How would a crab become trapped in amber? This is where it gets very tricky because, of course, you don't expect to see trees producing leaking amber into the water. So, how did the crab get trapped by it? Well, there are plenty of crabs that like to climb trees, but that means that crab had conquered the land. That is pretty unusual and interesting. Now, we know through other fossils, though not as well preserved, that you can trace the line of crabs all the way back to roughly the early Jurassic, 200 million years ago. Now, these are generally of marine fossils, but if you want to think about a non-marine crab, well, that's only bits and pieces that managed to survive the conditions, basically. Which is what makes this particular find, the Cretapsera athenata, so special. Because it's entirely complete, not missing anything, not a single hair on its body, as the co-lead author, Javier, Luca points out. Now, the Cretaspora athenata is from 
still a new branch compared to, I guess, the, the tree branch of the Brachiura, the Brachiura, the iconic group of crustaceans. But the question is really when, when did these type of land-based crabs really take off? Now, through other fossil records, we can see some land and tree-dwelling crabs known as the uh, Sisamidae from roughly 15 million years ago. So we know that crabs conquered land as a, as a nice niche for them to inhabit. Why were we seeing one so far back? And the most evidence we have for a non-marine type of crab is roughly 50 million years ago. But at 100 million years ago, it's quite unusual to find this crab. What's even more amazing is when the researchers analysed this such a well-preserved tissue of this crab, they could see that it didn't have any lung tissue. So it wouldn't really been able to really well breathe air. It only had well-developed gills. So obviously it wasn't completely land-dwelling but it was somewhere in between. Not fully marine, not fully terrestrial. So the most fascinating part about this is that during this Cretaceous crab revolution, when we're getting all these different varieties of crabs evolving, we've seen that crabs were already starting to conquer land way, way before we had thought otherwise. And when you get a really beautifully preserved fossil like this, you can really start to piece together the development of crabs over time and how we can fill in gaps inside our fossil record, but also at the same time, push back our whole timeline of this carcinization process. It may have happened even more times than we would have thought. So nature keeps evolving the shape of a crab. And these crabs are developed for certain niches, whether that be water inside a tree trunk or in an ocean, or maybe just land in general, with tiny holes in the dirt. Crabs have been invading the land and the sea and crustaceans have been becoming crabs in the same process for hundreds of millions of years, back to the dinosaur age, and likely even maybe slightly before that. And it's amazing to think about these creatures, such a well-designed shape for certain ecological niches that nature just loves it. And every time we think we know everything about crabs, we discover something else that just shifts back the goalpost even further and reveals just how incredible these creatures are. This paper was published in the journal Science Advances with lead authors Javier Luca and Lita Xing. Now we're going to turn away from the evolution of crabs and carcinization to another tale of creatures developing independently across time and space the same type of shape in their teeth. Now, in mammals, there was an evolutionary period where mammals developed some really intricate multiple tips in their teeth. These complex tooth shapes have these multiple tips called cusps. And this, for mammals, was amazing because it enabled us to basically eat a lot of plant matter and it led to an explosion in species types because, well, it was a pretty handy thing to develop. But as a paper published in the journal Nature Communications Outlines, mammals weren't the only ones that developed these cusps in their teeth. But unlike mammals, some other creatures took a really strange and unusual evolutionary journey in the development of complex teeth. Now this paper was published in the journal Nature Communications and authors include Fabien Lufama, Ian Coffey, Julian Clavel and Nicolas Dippo from the universities of Helsinki and Lyon. Now, one of the pretty amazing things about a group of animals 
that probably doesn't get as much attention as you think as mammals, even though they way outnumber them, is of course the squamates. Now this group includes lizards and snakes, and there are so many of these species, they're actually far more numerous than mammals by two times. And they don't get studied in as much detail, at least in the aspects of their teeth. So researchers like Dubois and others were trying to dive into this fossil record and they analysed 500 living and fossil species of lizards and snakes to look for the teeth that these creatures have. What they were trying to do is trace back through the ancestor creatures and see how teeth, complex teeth bearing multiple cusps, was developed and evolved. And what they found was that these cusps which really help the lizards or snakes chow down on plant matter, was evolved multiple times, independently in different parts of the world. Now, it allowed some lizard families to evolve way more complex plant-rich diets, and even led to them to develop even more complex teeth. Now, one of the reasons why lizards did this process is because, well, normally the creatures had a simple tooth, which was great if you're eating things like a mosquito. But if you wanted to eat something a bit more difficult, something that needed to be ground and serrated, or chomped through, not squished, then you need a tooth that can really work with that material. Mammals did this, developing these cusps in their teeth, as did some lizards. And it's pretty much a, a normal thing you would expect for land-living vertebrates to get pushed to sometimes eat plant matter. Because if you can eat plants effectively, well, then you have a whole new thing you can base your diet around, rather than just predation on other bugs or insects. So that's good. But you also then need to develop teeth and sometimes even stomach systems to deal with the plant matter that you're eating. Now what they found that was really, really interesting, not only did lots of different lizards and snakes develop these complex tooth shapes, they also saw some unusual changes. Some of these species actually then reverted back to the simple tooth. So it wasn't a one-way street of evolution. In many cases, some of these lizards developed complex teeth after a while to help them chow down on plants and then went back to that simple tooth mechanism because actually it suited their niche way better. And this is important to stress because it helps understand that evolution isn't just a one-way street. It doesn't mean a continual striving towards the best optimum ideal form. That means evolving and changing based on the environmental pressures and conditions. And sometimes simplicity is better. And that's certainly what happened in some of these cases. And the fact that we've shown this not just to be a benefit for mammals, but also for other creatures, other vertebrates, means that we can look for different evolutionary pressures in teeth and consumption of plants and track it across different species. There's some great work published in the journal Nature Communications. It helps challenge our understanding of evolution and also and how lizards and snakes got their amazing teeth. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We trace out some unusual paths of evolution, from the combinations of different creatures creating crabs over and over again, to how snakes and lizards ended up with complex teeth. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.